119, last, uh, last week, or I guess it was the week before, we said it was going to be our last time, but we're going to go one more. Remember, I started out in December, I'd kind of charted out what I wanted to hit for the month, and this one was going to be left off, but I decided not to, do, not to, uh, to leave it off, we're going to include it. So Psalm 119, I'm going to call the message a New Year's Prayer, a New Year's Prayer. We're moving into a, another year, 2024, year full of resolutions maybe, goals. Uh, this is the time where people begin to think about uh, the things that they want to accomplish or at least focus on for the year, whatever that may be. And um, I want to look at uh, verses 36 and 37 as a worthy New Year's prayer as we think about what we are going to do for 2024. So Psalm 119, starting in verse 36, the psalmist prays, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in the way. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in the way. We've, we've said this before, but these little nuggets that we find in Psalm 119 are really, um, really meant to be uh, parked on for a little bit, not meant to be just quickly read and, and, and moved on. You don't get to the uh, really the center of these things just by uh, a quick cursory reading. And so I'd like to spend some time this morning just parking it on this thought. Um, uh, we have various goals and... and, and uh, you know, maybe you're a resolution person, so maybe you have some resolutions. I mean, this is the time of year where, um, you know, that the uh, uh, the gym memberships soar. Um, this is the time of year where um, many of us will begin to read the book of Genesis for the 150th time and maybe not make it very far. Uh, this is the time of year where um, whatever it is that we feel like has been neglected over the previous years is going to finally get the time and attention that it needs. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that um, in and of itself. I think verses 36 and 37 could, could be used as a lens to view whatever goals, resolutions, whatever you call them, uh, through. Lord, whatever else happens this year, or in light of what maybe my my goals and resolutions are this year, Lord, would you would you incline my heart to your testimonies and not unto covetousness? Would you turn away my eyes from beholding vanity? I wonder how many resolutions are made that that are based upon that one reality. Our tendency to look at empty things. And would you quicken me in the way? Well, if we think about these two verses, um, uh, we, we find two opposites and two parallels. Two opposites and two parallels. Um, in verse 36, we have a couple of opposites here. Lord, uh, would you incline my heart to your testimonies? The opposite of this would be a heart that is inclined to coveting or covetousness. We're going to talk about what that means here in a minute. These are two opposites. To covet or a heart that's inclined to covet and a heart that is inclined or bent toward God's testimonies. Those are our two opposites. And then we have two parallels in verses 36 and 37. That's 36b and 37a. That is, uh, Lord... Do not, or maybe we could put it this way as far as the parallels, a heart that is inclined to covetousness and eyes that are set on vanity or empty things. And so we find both of those prayers there. Lord, do not incline my heart to covetousness and Lord, turn my eyes away from 
vanity or empty things, things that are really lies. And so as we kind of break this passage down, I want to think about it in three three movements maybe. Number one, the prayer. Number two, the problem. And then number three, the path forward. So the prayer, the problem, and the path forward. So number one, the prayer out of verse 36a. This is the positive side of it. Lord, would you incline my heart to your testimonies? Now, the word incline here means, Lord, would you bend my heart or would you cause my heart to yield to your testimonies? Um, A couple of things we can get right off the bat. Number one, this is a this is a disposition of the heart where we really are dependent on the Lord. We need the Lord to do this bending. We we need the Lord. Uh, this is a this is another way of of uh, maybe interacting with this reality of your people shall be willing in the day of your power. Their, their hearts shall be bent toward your testimonies. Their hearts will be caused to yield up to your testimonies. So it's a, it's a prayer that shows our dependence on the Lord. We, we can make our resolutions. We can make our commitments. We can even have our goals. But the reality is, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So we don't we don't chart off on any of these kinds of things in a self-sufficient type attitude. Lord, incline my heart. Secondly, it's obvious from the prayer and really from the entire psalm of Psalm 119, it's obvious that the psalmist here is not just simply interested in collecting a bunch of knowledge. Notice what the prayer is not. Lord, bless me to get through my Bible in a year. Lord, bless me to hit my preset goals of Bible reading for the year. But there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you need to have some goals. If you don't have goals, you, you, you probably won't make a whole lot of progress. But the psalmist here really has the end in mind. Why do we have goals? Why do we read the Bible in a year? It's not so we can win the Bible Bowl at the end of the year. It's so that our hearts might be bent in that direction, that they might yield up to, come in line with the Lord's testimonies. And so we're talking about the heart here. Lord, would you incline my heart to your testimonies? Well, you know, as we think about what does this what does this mean? Again, we're calling this a New Year's prayer. This is one of those passages that you could lay the details of your life on, but in a general sense, it's going to be the same for all of us. What is it going to mean for us to incline our hearts or have our hearts bent toward His uh, testimonies? Well, number one, you can look in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. What would it look like? How could you measure? How could you get an idea of whether or not your heart was being bent toward God's testimonies? Well, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, uh, a scribe comes to Jesus and asks him, which is the first commandment of all? That is, what's the most important? What's the preeminent? The most important commandment out of all the commandments, what is it? And Jesus says in verse 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first or the priority. This is the pre, uh, uh, predominant uh, commandment. 
And the second is like, namely, uh, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So what would it mean for our hearts to be inclined to God's testimonies? Well, if Jesus says that these are the two dominant principles that come out that all the commands are headed toward or pointing toward or working toward, then God's highest priority for our life is that number one, we would love Him. Number two, that we would love one another. Lord, would You incline my heart, bend my heart, bless my heart to yield up to this priority of prioritizing number one, a personal relationship with you that's lived out through the spiritual disciplines, that's consistently lived out as I commune with you through the Word, through prayer, through the decisions I'm making, so forth and so on. And then also, Lord, would you bend or cause my heart to yield up to this love for neighbor? You bless me to grow in that area. First Timothy chapter one, verse five, Paul tells Timothy the end of the commandments, that is the end goal, the intended end result is charity out of a pure heart. That is love. Um, he has a few more things to say there, but This is really the end goal. This is what it would look like for us to incline our hearts toward His testimonies, for our hearts to be bent that way. It would mean that our love for Him would be greater. Our love for one another would be greater. And where your love is, your investments will soon follow. And so as your love for God grows, then your investment in God's kingdom is going to grow as well your focus on God's kingdom and God's people will grow as well. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't really care what stage of life you're in. I don't, I don't care how long or how short of a time that you've been a Christian. This is a, this is a prayer. This is a goal. This is a commitment that we ought to all be not only interested in, but pursuing and growing in. Again, if our hearts are inclined to, bent toward His testimonies, then it's not just on these kinds of what are these specific things, but but it means that we're going to hold as important what God holds as important. We're going to prioritize what God wants us to. To prioritize. And so the prayer can go, you know, a few different ways. If we're thinking about the heart in those three different chambers, that is our thoughts, our desires, and our choices, then it might be something like this. Lord, would you bend my thoughts toward your testimonies? That's just, Lord, would you bless me to think the things that you would have me to think? Does God care about your thoughts? Do your thoughts have anything to do with what it means to love God? Well, this is the greatest commandment, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your what? Mind. As a matter of fact, uh, you're familiar with this passage, but Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 really highlights the importance of this bending our thoughts toward the testimonies of the Lord, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, Romans 12 tells us that the, the inclination of our minds are going to lead. That is what leads to the transformation of our life. 
however your mind is bent, inclined. He says, be transformed, that is your life, through the renewing of your mind, that is your thoughts, the way that you reason, the way that you understand the world, your life, and everything else that's in it. So, bend my thoughts, Lord, to your testimonies. Secondly, it's, it's, Lord, would you bend my desires toward your testimonies? Bend my desires toward your testimonies. That is, Lord, bless me to want and to love the things that you would have me to want and to love. Bless me to want and love the things that you would have me to want and love. We mention these often, and I honestly don't think we could mention them enough. It's, it's very important. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out it flow the issues of life. What are your ambitions for this year? What are your desires, and, and what are they informed by? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. The call to guide our heart in the way. These two realities were called to guard and guide our hearts, and that is primarily done as our hearts are bent toward the Word. These, these things happen as the Spirit uses the Word to renew our thoughts, to transform our desires, and then that leads toward behavior or living. So, Lord, would you bend my desires toward your testimonies? Bless me to want the things you want. And then third, would you bend my choices toward your testimonies? Would you bless me to choose to invest myself in the things that you would have me to choose and invest in? Incline my heart to your testimonies. Our thoughts our desires, our choices. I think about Joshua 24 where Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's a good thing to have those Joshua 24 moments in your life on a semi-regular basis, just a renewed commitment. Maybe the beginning of the year is when you need to do that. Maybe you look back over the year and you regret some of the opportunities that were wasted. Maybe you look back over the year and you regret some of the areas and circumstances where you were less faithful than you wished you would have been. Well, choose today who you're going to serve. Choose today. Lord, would you bend my choices toward your testimonies? That's, that's the prayer. Lord, incline my heart. Bend it. Cause it to yield toward your testimonies. But, but here's the problem. Back in Psalm 119. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, verse 36, and not to covetousness. Remind you of Jesus' prayer, lead me not into temptation. Just means, Lord, would you, would you keep me from getting there? Would you refrain my feet? I know my tendencies. The problem is a heart that is bent toward coveting. That's all of us. Uh, the, the symptoms may be different. What it's actually bent toward may be different, but covetousness is one of those root sins that we all struggle with, that we all face. That's one way that he puts it. The second way that he puts the problem is eyes that are set on vanity or Eyes that are set on useless, deceptive, empty lies.
um, he says, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. And so, so the prayer is really this, Lord, would you turn my eyes and my, my heart away from gazing on, thinking about, approving of, and enjoying the thought of useless, deceptive, empty lies. Oh man, it's easy to do that, isn't it? I mean, I gave you the silly example not too long ago about years ago, me trying to pick out that razor at Walmart and taking forever to do it. You want to know why? I was gazing on useless, empty, uh, carefully crafted, marketed lies. That is, the right razor will change your life. Now, I didn't think about it that way, but that's the only reason I stood there that long. What is it for you? A new car? A new job? A new circumstance? A new position? You see, this vanity, this useless, deceptive, empty lie comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. The question is not, do you have a tendency to do it? The question is, what's your flavor of lie that you're drawn away with? Some of it depends on the uh, season of life you're in and really what the need is for the moment, or at least what you think you think the need is for the moment. But think about that prayer. I mean, that's a powerful prayer. Lord, turn my eyes away from gazing. We said that behold is a synonym for meditate. So gazing on, thinking about, approving of, enjoying useless, deceptive, empty lies. Well, this whole business of covetousness, Lord, would you turn my heart from covetousness? Well, it's all throughout Scripture, isn't it? I mean, this is the way that uh, the Lord closes out the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Really, the command is just simply this, do not covet. Do not covet. What does it mean? What, is, what does it mean to covet? Obviously, there's a desire in there. But it's not wrong necessarily to desire something. That's not a sin in and of itself. On a functional level, I think Lupriolo gives a helpful definition. One of the ones that he gives goes this way. Covetousness is our inordinate desire to have more than what God has seen fit to give us. Covetousness is our inordinate desire. Okay? Inordinate. Okay, and a desire that has really turned into a demand to have more than what God has seen fit to give us. Luke chapter 12, Jesus would speak to this problem. He would speak to it in relation, or maybe I should say illustration, um, toward the Pharisees. But in Luke chapter 12... Jesus gives a, a warning. In verse 15, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Jesus is warning us here not to despise our possessions, 
You know, brothers and sisters, whatever you have, whatever good gifts that you have, whatever blessings that you enjoy come directly from the Father. Covetousness takes those blessings, those provisions, and we begin to turn those blessings into the pursuit of idols. See, I can be thankful for the blessings that God has given me, but if I'm not careful, I'll spend a lot more time coveting the blessings that He's given you. So at its root, covetousness lacks gratitude for the blessings that God has given us already. As a matter of fact, many times the blessings that we already possess are overshadowed by our inordinate desire for the blessings that God has sovereignly given you and not me. Now, I'm not just talking about material things here. We'll get to that in just a second. Proverbs, I'm sorry, not Proverbs, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 makes a clarification as it, we'll turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul says that struggle with coveting, that inordinate desire to want more, That's really where idolatry comes from. That's the gateway into idolatry. The, the lust or the coveting is really what we want. The idol is the avenue that we take to get it. These things are closely tied. What that means is a heart that is inclined to covetousness is a heart that has a severe worship disorder. We, we can't stay focused. Our value system is so messed up that we, we leave, turn away from the true and living God. And we turn toward what Jeremiah would call in, in uh, Jeremiah 2.13, those wells that just won't hold water. You know, the, the thing about a heart that is inclined, bent toward covetousness and idolatry is that there is no bottom to that well. What I mean by that is this. There's no such thing as enough. There's no such thing as enough. There's no satisfaction to be had. Look at how that's laid out in Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Haven't you found that to be true in your own life? You know, they're just things that you think, if, if only, if only I had this, or if only I was in this stage of my life. If only I had my dream car, I would never dream up of another one. Right? If, if only... We talk about it every now and again, but it's the whole 
You know, whether we're thinking about seasons of life, you know, you're you're in school and you just think nothing but freedom lies ahead. If I could just get out of school, everything's going to be great. College is going to be so much better than high school. I mean, I'm just dreaming about it. It's going to be great until you get there and realize it's pretty much the same thing with a little bit more freedom um, to mess up. And then you think, oh, all this homework. If I could just get rid of this homework and get into the real world, a job, that's when things are really going to start to click for me. Something I love, you know, something I enjoy. And then you get the job. And it turns out it's not what you thought it was going to be. And then you wait for retirement, because that's when things are really going to be good, when you have all the time that you need, and you're going to be able to do this, that, and the other. And you hear about folks who retire, and they're just bored and lonely. And it's just living for the next season, or maybe we could say it this way, it's just living for the next idol and refusing to acknowledge the blessings and purposes that God has for you in each season. We could tie this into what we said this morning out of Psalm 120. I don't care what season of life you're in, we live in a world full of distresses and trials and adversities and tribulations, and you never outgrow that. So, Things in and of themselves are just never, never enough. Four categories, I think, uh, are cover most of the gamut of our discontentment. Uh, pleasure. Praise. You know, when, when is somebody going to finally recognize me for the gifts and the blessing that I am? Pleasure. When is life going to get easier? Power, when can I move up the ladder? When can I when can I come into whatever position it is or whatever um, um, whatever it is I'm aspiring to attain? And then possessions, that's obviously part of it. Possessions are not just material possessions, though. Relational possessions. You know, single people who dream about getting married and how wonderful it's going to be. And then you get married. And there is some wonderful things about that. And there's some not so wonderful things about that. It's not all that you dream that it would be. Or dreaming about how wonderful it's going to be to have kids and how your kids are just going to think you hung the moon. And you're finally going to get to show the rest of the parents how it's done because your kids are going to be the ones that actually behave. You know, there's just a few simple things you got to do. And, you know, if you can do those, then. And then you figure out that formula is broke. <laughs> the point is not that um, we should have a doom and gloom attitude about all the blessings. Marriage is a blessing and children are a blessing and all these other things are blessings. But brothers and sisters, with every blessing comes a challenge. If what we're looking for is to be satisfied in our circumstance, that's not here. That's not going to happen. The truth is, it doesn't matter how good of a husband I strive to be, Abby will never be satisfied with life if her satisfaction is wrapped up in me. I can't do it. Neither can any other relational uh, dynamic that you're in. It just won't work. My, my children will never be satisfied if their satisfaction is dependent on me. Never going to work. Church, you are never going to be satisfied if your satisfaction is wrapped up in me. It's not going to happen. Due to preference, due to just imperfections in myself, it's never going to work that way. And so here's the problem, though. The problem is we covet the perfect spouse, the perfect parents. Well, listen, the world of psychology has made millions off this perfect parent scenario. The perfect pastor, the perfect car that's the perfect color and has the perfect smell that lasts for just the right amount of time, the perfect job, but we could keep going. Those things just don't satisfy. 
They weren't meant to satisfy. The problem is our heart is bent toward believing that they will, even though we know they won't. And the problem is we have a tendency to set our eyes on these useless, deceptive lies long enough to convince ourselves one more time this is the avenue to satisfaction. If I were to just ask you flat out, will a new car change your life and leave you satisfied? Everybody in here would say no until your car breaks down and you start thinking about it. Or a, do, a new dishwasher. Or a new razor. <laughs> whatever it is, is really inconsequential. It's, it's whatever we think we need at the time that our hearts begin to gaze at. And we turn it from a blessing into an idol, and then it disappoints. Lord, would you, would you not incline my heart to covetousness? So what is the... Uh, What's the path forward? What's the path forward? The prayer is that my heart would be inclined to your testimonies. The problem is that instead it tends to be inclined toward covetousness. By the way, we could think about this in in other ways too. Um, Even good things that we think are going to do more than what they actually do. You know, a healthier me in 2024. Well, there's a sense in which being a good steward of your body is what we're called to do. That's fine. Um, but if I'm convinced that if the 40-year-old Lewis looked more like the 20-year-old Lewis, I would be more satisfied with life. Don't take offense to this, but I got some big problems. That's... That's called coveting something. We could even go so far as if I'm convinced that if I just grind out a Bible reading program and get through the Bible in a year, that then I'll be satisfied with my spiritual condition. If you actually, if you make it through the Bible in a year and you do it in such a way that the Scriptures are speaking to your heart, you may find yourself less satisfied than you were before as the Lord begins to unveil some things, to expose some things. So the point is, the, the idol itself could be neutral. It's what you're looking at it to do that really is the problem. So what's the path forward? Well, here it is in the last part of the prayer. Um, Psalm 119, verse 37, Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in the way. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, quicken me in the way. It's just to restore, revive, or nourish me in the way. In some ways, it is a parallel to incline my heart to your testimonies, but this is, as it's inclined, Lord, would you cause this to be the effect? Would you bless it to restore, revive, nourish my heart, my soul in the way? What's the path forward as it relates to covetousness? Well, the biblical solution to covetousness is one that you're familiar with. It's one that we all maybe kind of cringe when we hear because we recognize that it's difficult, but the biblical solution to covetousness is contentment. I mean, covetousness is just, we call it in our modern world, discontentment. That just means we need more. We want more. We're not content with the blessings that we have. We need more. But Scripture puts a high priority, really a high value, on contentment. Hebrews 13, 
read a couple of passages, make a few observations here. Hebrews 13, verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. That is, let your manner of life, that word conversation is manner of life, let it be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Now, there's a couple of things here that are very helpful. Number one, as he says, let your manner of life be without covetousness and be content. There's we have our opposites there, covetousness, contentment. But then he says, be content with such things as you have. Why? How? The next word there is for or because. Here's how you can do that. The Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now you remember what we said about the problem with covetousness. We're looking to people and things to find our satisfaction. Here, the writer of Hebrews says, don't live a life that's characterized by covetousness, but be content because God, Christ, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Where is where's the writer of Hebrews encouraging the audience to find their satisfaction? Well, it's in Christ. This is, this is the thing that satisfies, that never leaves, that doesn't diminish. It's your relationship with the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I know we're seven days in, but the resolution of learning to be more content would be a worthy resolution for 2024. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Philippians chapter 4, this is one that you're more familiar with uh, as as we think about this whole idea of contentment. Philippians chapter 4, reading verses 11 through 13. As Paul was giving thanks for the the church's care for him, he says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore, I'm sorry, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Well, Paul says this. uh, As we think about his comments. Number one. Contentment is not found, it's learned. Contentment is not found in a circumstance. Contentment is not found in a relationship. Contentment is learned in the context of circumstances and relationships. Paul says, I know how to abound. That is, I know how to do well, to have a lot. I know how to have a little. And I've learned that in whatever state I'm in, to be content. Now, this is the context that we find, you know, the ever so popular Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What Paul is talking about here is I can be content in all kinds of different situations. I have learned to be content in all kinds of situations, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm abounding, whether I'm suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know this, but so often that verse is highly abused and ripped out of context used to uh, convince poor athletes that they can make the half-court shot at the end of the buzzard if Christ is with them. In context, what this really means is you could completely blow the last shot from half-court 
and not be deflated and still be content based on the work of Christ in you. It's not I can be the hero. It's that even in your failures, Christ is still the hero. It, it's not that um, I will be put in situations where I have all the external satisfaction that I need. It's that I can draw upon the satisfaction that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, even when everything that's external is not what I want it to be. That peace that passes all understanding. And so a good definition, again, from Lou Priolo on contentment is contentment is realizing that true satisfaction can come only from building one's life around those things that cannot be taken away or destroyed. Makes you think of Matthew 6, 19-21, storing up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. So what does this mean? Well, let me give you three, three ways for us to grow in contentment based on this. To learn contentment. And to grow in this area. Number one, prioritizing and cultivating your relationship with Christ. This is... This is just a given, but, but just in case, um, we don't need to miss this. If you are not walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, contentment is not even a possibility for you. Okay, It's not. A Christian whose walk with the Lord is waxing, and waning should not expect to find contentment. If that's the source of satisfaction, the source that doesn't change. You remember in Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah goes through all the difficulties and then he says, I bring this to mind and therefore I have hope of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. And then he says this, the Lord is my portion. That's where he's finding his strength. That's where he's finding his satisfaction. That is, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord has given me himself, even though he's ripped away everything else. So prioritizing, cultivating the relationship with Christ. Number two, thinking biblically about God. We're thinking about practical theology, okay? Thinking biblically about God as it relates to your circumstances. So we see this in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse uh, 65. The psalmist says, Thou hast dwelt well with thy servant. Well, that's, that's the heart of contentment there. He's getting ready to talk about affliction, by the way. Um, verse 65, you've dwelt well with your servant. Verse 64 does not say, I won the lottery. Okay. Then you get down to verse 68. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me your statutes. Now, this is right after he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So this is thinking biblically about God in our disappointments, in our difficulties, in our afflictions. Lord, you've dwelt well with me. I may not have everything my heart desires, but I have more than I've ever deserved. Lord, you are good and you do good, even though it doesn't always feel good. And then last, as far as growing in contentment, cultivating contentment, it's prioritizing and pursuing the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Brothers and sisters, just like we said, God's number one priority for us is that we love God and love neighbor, as it, as it relates to the kingdoms we're pursuing, if we're putting our kingdom, our agenda, if we're putting our uh, dreams above God's priorities for our lives, we should not expect to find contentment there. 
there's going to be uh, there's going to be some budding heads on a regular basis. And so what does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? Well, in some ways, it kind of depends on where you are. When I say where you are, I mean where you are on a spiritual level. It, it, it may mean that that you're looking to Christ and, and you're you're trusting him and you're seeking to follow him for the first time in your life. And if this morning you're looking at your heart, considering your heart, and maybe for the first time realizing that, yeah, it is inclined to covetousness. I do tend to make gods out of these silly things that always disappoint. Well, there is absolutely no hope and no help outside of the cross of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to turn your heart, to quicken your heart. Or maybe it means that you're growing your walk with Christ through the spiritual disciplines and service to His kingdom. Maybe it means you do an evaluation of your life and you recognize my priorities have been out of whack. Um, I am inclined to live for pleasure, power, possession. Um, Maybe it's recognizing areas where you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to turn. Brothers and sisters, whatever it is, contentment is only attainable within the walls of the kingdom of God. And so a New Year's prayer, a New Year's prayer, incline my heart under thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and quicken me in the way. Let's pray. Father, we confess to You this morning that our hearts are so often naturally bent toward covetousness and idolatry. And we pray along with the psalmist that You would bend them the other way. That You would incline our hearts to Your testimonies. That You would bless us to pursue contentment. That we would find our satisfaction in You and in You alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.